I'm Stephen Aaron Deinhardt IV. Welcome to the Giant Lands Podcast, hosted by Amusement Sparks, with your host, Andrew Spawn. Steven, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty well, you know. Uh, I uh, started this Kickstarter sort of on a whim. I had planned on saving it for a while. Yeah, that surprised me. Yeah, and then one day I was like, I'm going to do it. I could do this. I'm just going to make 100 of them. It's going to be really easy. I've already got all this stuff made. I'm just going to launch it. It's going to be no big deal. And, uh, you know, sure enough, it's always big. trying not to hit it too hard. But, you know, it's a, it's a stressful endeavor. And, you know, it feels like you're on, you know, on the stage. It's a performance. Even, you know, last time I did it, you know, I really did a performance. And this time I'm trying not to. But inevitably you kind of feel there. And you always feel on. Like, what should I be doing right now to have this go even further? And, you know, I chose a really small window. It's only two weeks long um, to try to just sell some units that's all i was really interested in i also i love that you set your goal at a hundred dollars like that's so powerful and for you as the creator it's got to feel like i made it to 100 you know now everything is just icing on top beyond here like because you already did the work you know you already basically financed the project independently uh and now you're just kind of getting paid for it on the back end so to speak or i know it's it's a zero edition so not really the back end, but yeah, well, you know, and it's one of these things that it's still going to take a lot more time and money and effort to kind of get it to where I want it. Uh, I thought, well, you know, what the heck? I've spent all this time, you know, flipping Jim Ward just delivered to me, you know, 175 pages of rules. You know, we worked on together. I've got some artwork. I've got all this graphics. I've got all these assets. Why don't I just try it? And, you know, so. Um, more than anything, I just wanted to see if it had any teeth, you know, if I could sell any units. So I thought, I mean, as silly as it seems, I thought, I just want to sell one. If I can sell one, you know, and I didn't do much prep work on it. I just kind of you know, literally slapped it together in about a week and I've changed it a bunch. But yeah, as soon as I sold one, I thought, huh, well, maybe, I, maybe I should have had a bigger goal. So I have a, have a, lot, of, have a lot of stretch goals in there and yeah, at this point, you know, we're, uh, we've got about 30 units. Like I said, initially, I'd only plan on making 100. You know, it's all, it was all premised. I was looking at um, uh, the original uh, D&D books, what's, what's known as the White Box, or, you know, the original D&D prior to first edition. So then I thought, rather than trying to kind of outdo some of these, you know, you know White Wolf or you know, whatever it is, putting out these amazing books with amazing content that takes, I mean, you need to spend, you know, a thousand bucks a page for some of that art just to get it made, um, you know, uh, which is kind of hard for the little indie to compete with. But on the other hand, I can print up a bunch of little digests, um, not too hard, not, not too challenging. I can do it all black and white interior. And um, at first I was going to try to kind of really take that theme of, of sticking to uh, the design of the, that old school set, but it's kind of evolved a little bit, but I think it's still there. And um, yeah, I thought, well, I can make a hundred of these things. They'll be like, you know, that zero edition, you know, the, the myth is, or the story is that Gary and Dave Arneson made a thousand of the original run of D&D &D and 
in Gary's basement and basically sold them out of the basement. Um, and uh, once those thousands sold out, it was like, hey, well, maybe we got a business here. And I think in the end, they printed about four or 5,000 over a couple of years of that run uh, before they finally eventually got to uh, the, the proper first edition of Dungeons and Dragons that a lot of people became familiar with. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, I'm not ready to print a thousand of these things, uh, but I can do a hundred and maybe we can move them uh, and show some interest. And uh, then when we have, you know, even if I don't uh, sell, uh, you know, a hundred, I'm going to figure out how to make them. And, um, you know, then I'll have some box product with me through the spring that I can sell at various events and whatnot. Yeah, that's awesome. Having some kind of product with you that you can be talking about, even if it's kind of as a, a business card, like uh, Kevin Smith, you know, said he wanted to make clerks as kind of a, a business card where it's like, this is this is the kind of thing I do. I know it's not a success, but maybe hire me to do this movie. But it's nice to always have something in the can that you can carry around and show to people. And I don't mean can like a toilet. <laughs> I mean can like a film canister, mixed metaphor. I, um, I never think of a toilet. I don't know why. <laughs> Um, okay good in that context uh, at least so uh um, <laughs> well when it when it came out i was like wait that sounds like it's always good to have something in the bathroom <laughs> but uh i mean that might be true too but uh i just mean it's cool to to always be working on kind of a new project and having your your portfolio with you in a way even if your portfolio is a you know your current project it's like here's what i'm working on here's edition zero i'm working on edition one or I don't know. It's it's a good jumping off point for conversation, and hey, hopefully you can sell some too. So, fund fund the dream, keep it moving. Yeah, exactly. And we're gonna we're we're running the game. You know, we ran the game at Gamehole Con uh, at the end of uh, October, beginning of November, uh, which was essentially this game. And uh, you know, I'm I grew up such a fan of James Ward and TSR. Uh, but, you know, I was really interested in seeing how he did what he did. You know, it was a, this is a guy that made games that I only knew through the books as a kid, right? And I would take my friends on adventures through them, and, you know, they just set up so much in my life. So I really wanted to see how he did what he did. And I don't, th- I don't think it's changed a lot over the years. So for me, you know, going from making him as a kid to – making it professionally and then being trained how to make them professionally, whether it be at school or when I was at electronic arts or any of these other places where they sort of taught me the EA way, you know, I learned to make games. I make games very differently these days. I'm a, I rapidly prototype things. Um, I'm not really interested in talking about them so much as, well, let's play, let's figure out what we're going to play and let's, let's play it right now. Cause if we do this well, I should be able to play something within the next 30 minutes that's more exciting than anything we'd spend the next six days talking about. That's such a great design principle. That's I do some board game design, and the times I feel most productive are when there's a deadline, and that's usually because I enter towards the last minute of a design contest, kind of intentionally. But it's just it's a lot more fun for me to do that because I'll just mull this thing over in my head trying to form a perfect pearl before I ever put out in the world, and that's just honestly wasted time because the second that game hits the table, it's going to evolve anyway. So it's like, well, I might as well just get this to the table as fast as I can and then tweak it Um, because step two is going to take the same amount of time, whether I've spent five years on step one or, you know, two weeks. Um, So yeah, I love doing those short turnaround contests, but I should be able to just set my own, you know, time frame and say, I'm going to have this playable 
prototype, uh, you know, by the end of the day. Like, I think that's such a good work ethic uh, and a very practical way to design pretty much anything. Like, knock out your first draft, you know. First draft of your essay can be horrible. But if there's passion there and a few good nuggets, it was worth it, and you'll do draft two, and it'll be way better. Yeah, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I learned I learned to call this, like, play-centric, call it iterative, call it whatever you want. But, yeah, that's the idea. I mean, you know, with my own kind of material, I mean, you were talking about, I guess, before we started recording about, you know, some of the video stuff. Yeah, I'm curious about that. Your, your videos are so cool. Thanks. So, yeah, I mean, I started making videos and when I was a kid. Um, me and my friends would, you know, make, you know, home movies and all this jazz. And, you know, I studied film over the years. I made films most of my life um, and, uh, you know, went to film school. Uh, but in, I don't know, I guess after I left film school and I still kind of messed around making videos here and there, but didn't do too much. But a few years ago, um, when I was super mega depressed, um, I said, man, if I could just do one video a day, like, I don't care what the quality is. I just need to do it. And I need to say it's done. And I'm going to do this for at least a week. And I think that's all that lasted. Um, but I went out and I made one short video, whether it was a music video of me just strumming on my ukulele, uh, to whatever, whatever I could put together. Um, and just would kind of be on the spot and do it. And I find that when I do that with my work, it, it's scrappier, but somehow it's more genuine and higher quality almost than stuff I'll agonize over. And, you know, uh, you spend all this time trying to perfect something. And at the end of the day, I started, I called it quick and dirty, sort of Dada inspired, these kind of cut ups. And I thought, man, I don't even care what kind of source material I have. Just I'll just go grab whatever source material I can find and start building, you know, these sequences. And so, um, you know, it was really, I guess, my first Kickstarter with Pinky when I started Pinky Elefante or Pinky Elephants, depending on you know when you tuned in. Um, I started producing these more regularly in, in in recent years. But yeah, so I I kind of made this these short films over the course of a month for that Kickstarter. I don't remember how many of them, six, eight. Um, and they were probably about five minutes to 10 minutes a piece, but it's sort of the same thing I've been saying. Like I got tired of, um, you know, waiting for permission really. And I wanted to be a finisher. I just want to get it done and move forward, get it done and move on to the next thing. Cause you know, I meet these people, they spend, you know, myself included, you know, you spent seven years, 15 years on something. And at the end of the day, you're like, is this really that much better than what I could have produced if I really focused and just got it done in a year? And does anyone really notice at the end of the day? Maybe. So I spent 15 years writing a very small book. <laughs> and uh, it's I think it's good, but I don't think it's 15 years of work. For me these days, that's how I like to make games, too. I get a system moving really quick. I keep pushing towards playables. Like, I want to be able to play it. This is the way I understand it. And I really think it has to do with the way I learn as a, as a person. I, um, um, uh, and, I, you know, a lot of people, I think, are this way. But, you know, for me, especially to a T these days, I, 
you know, I need to experience something. And this is why I try to, I try, I try to remain naive. Yeah. Or the, the beginner's mind is another phrase I really like of, of approaching something like you've never done it before. And it'll bring a lot more because, you know, people's first albums are usually their coolest one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's because they didn't really know what they were doing. Right. They didn't know what sound they were going for. But by the second album, they're all in their head of, do we do the same thing? Do we redefine ourselves? Or do we do a more perfect version of what we tried to do before? It's like, there's a lot more stress involved there versus if you just approach it like a beginner and there's no continuity, you don't have to worry about that. You just make this piece today. Like, you're going to have much greater success. I think that's great. Yeah, very much so. And and even uh, in the context of successes, like sometimes I'm thankful some of the stuff I've done hasn't been more successful because I, I would have been, there might have been problematic. I have some friends that are like golden child and everything they've ever done has been applauded as a masterpiece. And now it's very hard for them to make moves. It's very hard for them to deliver. They don't want to, they don't want to upset people. They can't break rules and everyone sort of tries to tell them how to do it. So it's, um, it's a lot more challenging. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I've been able to pivot and experiment in so many ways because, you know, it's just has really opened my mind to, to a lot of different stuff. So I like to think my best is still ahead of me. And yeah, at this point, I like to think it's, you know, I know Giant Lands is my best yet. You know, at the end of the day, we've got this tabletop, our, 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 <laughs> too many acronyms, uh, RPG. I keep wanting to say OSR, something I just uh, came across. Someone uh, someone on Twitter was like, oh, this looks like an OSR game for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> now it's stuck in your head. What the heck is that? Yeah, so I went and I looked it up, and I guess it's what these guys are calling old school. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know what a new school RPG, but like these old school kind of more imaginative rpgs and I, so i thought oh well that sounds nice sure maybe that's what you want to call it yeah i guess that's what it is because that's the kind of games that you sort of grew up playing right where it was more sort of like you're in the wild west and you can kind of make up the rules as you want to and focus more on the story and the imagination and the fun of it rather than let me go grab my other uh you know monster manual and and look up the specifics on that yeah absolutely so we always used to call them grognards there's these people that are just hardcore about rules and um, you know, they like to ruin fun and they like to say this, this is how it's done and you've got to do it my way. And I know the way because I read mm-hmm. the book. You know, <laughs> and, well, I don't care. This is way more exciting and everyone else thinks this is cool. So why does it matter? Right. You got to have the right balance in your group for sure. <laughs> and I think I was just such a kid at the time. Most of the stuff was just too over our head. So we just took it as sort of guidelines and that's what the stuff said. So it's, you know, different play styles. And so, you know, this is my approach currently uh, with, with Giant Lands is, you know, Jim has created this, you know, frankly, pretty elaborate rule system for how everything works. And it's all percentile die based. And, um, you know, part of me, the more and more... I, have you seen The Secrets of Blackmore? I have not. I looked it up. It's a documentary about uh, kind of the original, like the origins of D&D. Is that right? Yeah, origins of D&D is in there. But um, at least what I took away from it was, sure, Arneson created the first kind of dungeon scenario. But, but when was the first time that people really started playing characters? How did that happen? You know, uh, because I have a lot of war gamers, you know, a little bit older in my family, and they played games a lot in the 60s and started to in the 70s. 
But as soon as it branched over into RPG, it got, I think, a little too weird for a lot of folk, and it just didn't attract the same people. And so I've always tried to understand that evolution, and this was a really great kind of um, uh, focus on the evolution from those Kriegspiel kind of Napoleonic, you know, war games that they play in these uh, wargaming groups that Gygax and Arneson and all these guys were part of, and how they evolved to the point where they said, hey, rather than playing a whole army, why don't you play just one character? And why don't you get invested in that character? Uh, and rather than trying to defeat each other, why don't we just have a great adventure together? And that is, uh, that's actually, I mean, I think that's really revolutionary. Yeah, that makes it click for me, for sure. Yeah, and um, it happened even in, you know, I've worked in a lot of real-time strategy games, which has been great fun, but, you know, I like, I like random. I like uh, chaos. Yeah, a lot of these strategy guys really want everything to be predictable. They want to be able to crunch the numbers to determine outcomes, and it really informs a lot of their decisions. I, on the other hand, I like to play. I like to push on boundaries, sometimes to, to just respond to the system as it evolves, you know, just in an intuitive way. I think this is why, you know, as we kind of sort of spoke of previously, this is why my buddy calls the stuff we used to play emotional D&D. So what I'm trying to do with Giant Lands is say, hey, here are three ways that you could play this game. But the important part is that you're developing a world together. I mean, it's like a story machine. It's such a beautiful thing to come back to because you don't need the technology. It's about, you know, I mean, sort of like what we do here. We, um, in, in a, just having a great conversation. But you're having a conversation and character with people trying to create this believable world as you're kind of, you know, really collaboratively telling a story um, around a table and it's um it's a it's a really really magical thing so yeah if you want to go use dice that's fine if you want to toss a coin that's fine if you don't even want to do that stuff that's okay too because at the end of the day what's most important is not who's right or wrong or what number you got so much as continuing the flow of play and having people feel like they've had a meaningful experience together and that's more important than saying, well, did I do this correctly? Hmm. What's fun about it as well is that it makes it so that your experience of it is unique. Beautiful. I think that's a great place to end it, too. Uh, so when does your current Kickstarter end for Giant Lands Zero Edition? Yeah, Giant Lands Zero Edition, the Kickstarter ends on Friday the 13th. Ooh. Yeah, right? At midnight. Oh my gosh, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I was so happy about it. I was like, oh cool, it's close to Christmas and I get to do a Friday the 13th ending. That's fantastic. It was only a two-week campaign and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's doing well, but uh, I'm hoping we get some of those stretch goals because that's when things get really exciting. Totally. That's awesome. I wish you the best of luck, and uh, I'll see you next episode. Sounds fabulous. Thanks uh, Thanks so much once again, and uh, it's always great talking to you. Together, I hope we can find new places within the imagination where we can grow and expand our understanding of what it means to be human.
most of what you see is an illusion. You may stay. The time is now.